Welcome to another episode of Eat Chit and Dice, a fortnightly podcast about board games and sometimes food. T- today, definitely, I've been told that there is something that qualifies as a food. I'm Jared, and with me, as always, is Jondi. Hello. Jondi is in a different city. What? You're it's... in a different city than I am. Yeah, uh, well, I guess technically I am. Um, yeah. I'm in the town next to you, but yeah. whatever. I'm in my house. How's that? Anyway, yeah, you're in your house and I'm in my house. What are we talking about this week, Jared? Okay, well, I don't remember what I said during the test recording, but uh, I oh, I remember now. Um, I wanted to make the episode title called More Monet, More Problems, because we're talking about art games, but only one of the games involves money. So, because we missed an episode, we're calling this one Absence Makes the Art Grow Fonder. Hee hee hee. Yeah, so, obviously art games. And the first one we're going to talk to, talk, talk to, the first one we're going to talk about is Modern Art, which is by Simon uh, Games, or I guess they're pronouncing it Come On Games. Come uh, on! <laughs> yeah. So, on. Uh, Modern Art Come is... On. Okay, are you Come done? On. Are you done? <laughs> okay. I'm just yelling. I'm just screaming in my house. I... Come on! <laughs> okay. This so, is a game by Reiner Knizia. It is an auction game. Yes. It's an auction game where each player on your turn, you're playing as the art gallery, I guess, auctioneer or whatever. And you're auctioning off pieces of art that come from your hand. All of the art in the game is by actual modern art style artists. So Which means some it of looks it's, real strange. Yeah, some of it's pretty funky. Um, but that's kind of how modern art is. So, John, hold on just a second, because I do need to say there is a version of this game that you can get that is um, that uses real 19th century art rather than modern art. But I think that kind of defeats the purpose of the game. It does. Because the purpose of the game is to try to trick other people into buying this. uh, All right. I know art is subjective, but I'm just going to call this. um, You're trying to convince the other players to buy crappy art at inflated prices. I don't and, really feel like that's what the game's about. But. Well, no, I mean, I'm I'm kind of uh, being a jerk about it, but that is kind of what it's about. I mean, I think it's just very thematic in the fact that it's an auction game where you're auctioning off art. And in an actual, like, fancy art gallery, then pe- they aren't trying to trick people into buying the art. The well, people are there because they want to buy the art. I so guess, I in guess theory... Right. So in theory, these pl- the players you're playing as people that care about the art. <laughs> oh, okay, but what I'm saying is, in in uh, with within the confines of the universe where this game is is real, it it doesn't make sense for there to be a version of the game where you can buy a Rembrandt painting. Oh, I would agree. I, I would. 100% that's what. Agree. That's all I was trying to say. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure. It is. Uh, we'll go back to saying this is an auction game. You're playing as an auctioneer. You're auctioning off art in the form of cards from your hand. And there are five, four different types of auctions. There's five types of auctions, but one of them is is not really a type of auction. Okay, but I have the rule book right. in front of me now, so I can I can read them off here. Okay. All right. The, there's an open auction, which is uh, your normal auction where... People just shout out bids. Uh, if nobody wants to bid on it, then the auctioneer can get the painting for free. Um, yep. There's a, I, I guess I, I was calling it the buy it now 
Yeah, um, you were. <laughs> which is the, the fixed price auction where the auctioneer names a price and it goes around in turn order and you either get to say, yes, I want it for that price or I don't want it that. Um, the auctioneer can't say a, a dollar amount that's more than the money that they have because in this one, the auctioneer has to buy it from the bank. Yes. There's also uh, what they call one offer auction, which is, I don't know, kind of strange. Um, you go in, in turn order and you just say if you want to bid on the painting, you say an amount higher than the previous bid or you pass. The auctioneer has the last chance to bid. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But if nobody bids, then the auctioneer gets it for free. Yeah. Then there is hidden auction, which is like uh, everybody puts some money in their hands. And then you go three, two, one. You flip over your hand and show how much money you have. And whoever has the highest bid uh, pays. Yep. And in all of the auctions, when money changes hands from one player to another, then the player doing the auction gets the money. Uh, if the auctioneer is the one that wins their own art, then that money goes into the bank. Right. So they either get it for free on the two auctions that they get it for free or they pay the bank. Um, there's also a fifth type of auction, which is not really an auction. It's, it's the double auction, which is, oh, right. is, I was calling make it double is what I is the joke that I said earlier, but uh, it's not a good joke. But basically, if you right. play an art card that has the double auction, you have to then play a different art by the same artist that has a different auction type. And then you auction off both paintings as that auction type. So if you play the double auction and then you pay uh, play the hidden auction, then everybody is hidden auction secret bidding on both paintings as a set. Yep. Or I guess in auction terms as a lot. So for me... I like the game. I think it's a good, like, gateway-style game to get people that don't normally game to play something that's a little different because it's really easy to understand. Uh, there, Since there are different types of auctions, I think, at least for me, that's what keeps the game interesting. If there was, if there was only one type of auction, I think the game would fall, like, really flat. I think it would be way too repetitive and would get super boring really quick. Well, and and I, there's a weird – the way scoring works is kind of interesting. Yes. So at the end of the round, and the round is triggered by uh, five or more paintings by the same artist being out on the table. So if, if there are four out already and you play the fifth, it, it triggers the end of the game or a round. Um, and then you go into the, like, selling the paintings to the bank for money that right. you can use in the next round. And that is based on how popular that artist was. Yeah, so like if one artist, if like four paint, four all four paintings were of one artist uh, were sold, then that then that artist's value is going to go up, and the, it's the top three in the round whose value goes up. In uh, yeah, the most popular is worth thirty, and uh, these are thousands. Yeah, um, the second is twenty, and the third is ten, and then everybody else is nothing. But that stacks. There's four rounds in the game, and that stacks. So Correct. theoretically, you could have uh, one artist be very, very, very valuable. Yes. So, and and at the end of each round, you basically sell your art, I guess, to the bank and get... Yeah, that's what they call it in the rules, but... Uh... Thematically, it's kind of weird, because if you spend a bunch of money on the art, I would think that you'd want to keep it, but... For, for the game purposes, you're selling the art back to the bank at the end of the round. You get the money. And then 
at the end of the game, whoever has the most money is the winner. Yes, and if there's a tie, uh, I don't remember what the tiebreaker. So in each round, anyway, the t- there's a tiebreaker for like if two artists got this had the same amount of paintings out that turn, uh, the artist on the on the value board that was closest to the oh, left. Oh yes, that's right. That's right. And it's I think I feel like that's a super weird way to break the tie, but I guess it's as good as any. Yeah, and it does not look like there's a tiebreaker for who has the most money at the end of the game. I guess um, you. I guess you'd just both be winners. Yeah, I guess so, because it doesn't say. I feel like the chances of ever of there being two people that have the exact same amount of money are probably fairly slim. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure you're right, but I it could happen. Right. Right. Uh, maybe it just wasn't ever seen in play testing or something. I don't know. Well, this game is also super old. It's been around for at least 15 years, I think. Yeah. I'm not sure like, what the first publishing was, but I know it was like 15 years ago. Yeah. I played the game like over like a year ago at last year's BGG con. And the version I played was very different. The art was older. It was still like, in my opinion, ugly modern art, but um, it's from it was 1992. Old. That was probably the version I played was the 1992 version. Well, there you go. So when I said like at least 15 years old, uh, yep, it is. Uh, yep. Yep. 27 years old. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Well, um, uh, I think it's an okay game. Uh, I didn't not have fun, but there were definitely parts of the game where I was like, well, um, I can't really strategize because I can't force other people to bid specific amounts on specific paintings. So I'm just going to lay down this and say a number and see what happens. Right. Like, I think the strategy in a game like this is really just when you're choosing what art you're going to play to try to auction off, you're trying, I guess, to try to manipulate it in such a way that whatever you've been buying might become more valuable I know alternatively you could just force bidding wars between the other players and then uh, lose every auction. Well, not every auction, but lose a lot of the auctions and uh, have a bunch of money that much money. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I know one of the, I think it was the, it was the final round, I think where I knew I like, I had the most amount of art of one artist and I knew if it made it around to me again before the, game ended then i was going to be able to play that last card and the game before any of the other artists were able to catch up so there's just a little bit of strategy there but not a lot this is this is a game where you have no idea if you're winning or losing until the end of the game yeah because the money is hidden behind little player screens yeah yeah in fact i think the whole game we thought that cat was winning and it turned out i thought for sure she was gonna oh yeah me too but it turned out that you won so it's just there's no way to know until the end of the game, like, who's winning. Unless yeah. in your head you're actually, like, calculating how much they've gotten versus how much they spent. And if you do that, then you're way too complicated of a gamer. <laughs> yeah, for this kind of game, it, that's that's a bit much. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, uh, moving on. Uh, the next game that we have is Bob Ross, Art of Chill. Now, there are two, well, there's, I think, a third, but there are two major Bob Ross games. One of them I really like. The other one I think um, that I will keep my mouth shut about. And Bob Ross Art of Chill is the one that I like. Well, the other one, I don't remember what it's called. Bob Ross, Happy Little. It's in a pink box. That's like all I remember. Happy Little Accident. No, Happy Little. Yeah, I don't so, remember. That sounds right. It's 
it's a party game. It's a drawing party game and it's really, really light. It's not, it's almost not a game. Um, it's fine for what it is, but this one is actually like a meaty game. Yeah. It's, I would call this a set collection because what you're doing is you have a, you have a palette in front of you that you can put down your paints on to paint a painting. And it, it has like a ticket to ride style. You collect the colors that you need and then you play them down to paint features like um, happy little clouds or almighty mountains or wondrous water. or You know, those things that Bob Ross would say. Yeah. And the uh, the, the trick here is it, it matters which order you paint them in. There's uh, a lot of paintings in this. Um, it says it says 15 double sided painting panels. So there's 30 different paintings, and these are actually like paintings from from the art of painting. And you have to paint them before Bob Ross paints them to get bonus points. Right. And and you don't know. So with the set collection, the thing that's kind of tricky is when you know that one painting is getting ready to be finished and you're looking at the colors that you have on your palette, you don't know if the colors that you've been collecting are even going to be on the next piece of art, let alone in the combinations that you've been co co that you've been collecting them, because you right. have to. If you have phthalo blue in your in your palette, and uh, the next painting flips over and there's no phthalo blue, right? Oops. Right. So then you basically have to wipe everything you've been doing clean, and that that's both makes the game interesting and very frustrating because basically everything you've done from the time that you painted your last painting until that point is completely worthless, and you have to start over. So. You know, take it as 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 you will. That's both a plus and a minus for the game, in my opinion. Um, so the the basic rundown here is: on your turn, you roll a die, and the die results will either be that Bob Ross uh, does a does a thing. So you'd flip over uh, one of the Bob Ross chill cards that has different game altering effects on it, and then you'd move Bob along his painting progress, or uh, it, it it will give you a bonus action. Um, so the, the actions that you can take is you can draw art supplies cards, which are paints and brushes. And it's the same card, which I also, I really like that. So you can be like, okay, well, great. I don't need this orange anymore, but I do need the palette knife. So hooray, I can flip it around. They're not double-sided, but they're half, halfsies. Yeah. Uh, you can also apply paint to your palette, which means you play the cards down from your hand onto your palette into the, uh, like there's two palette zones that you can you're you're mixing and matching the colors to paint the, the painting features. You can wash your palette, which is what you have to do when you screw up. Um, you can sweep the art supplies cards, which just means to reset the draw pile. You can earn a technique card. Now, this was interesting. So to earn a technique card, if you have two matching cards, you can discard them so that in the future, if you use those things, you get a bonus. So if it's like, OK, I've got a bunch of extra orange cards in my hand. And I know I keep using orange as an example, but let's just go with it. I've got a bunch of extra orange cards. Well, it, I see here, if I discard two identical orange cards, I can get this card that gives me a bonus point every time I paint something that uses orange. So it's kind of a way to like burn through some extra cards and also get extra points. Uh, when we played it, John D was the only one that did that. I was, and I actually, it actually, I used it a lot because after I, I, I got a technique that was, uh, I was using the, the knife, what do you call that? Yeah. Art. But anyway, I was using it that it gave me extra points if I painted a painting using that tool. And so then the rest of the game, I tried to focus on whatever painting on the card was using that tool because it would give me that boost of points. 
Yeah, and then obviously the the last action here is that you can paint part of the painting, um, which is the whole point of the game because that's how you get points. So you get points based on how many colors you painted with, not how many like blue cards you used, but how many colors that it takes to. Um, like, let me look at an example here. Um, Happy little trees needs green, brown, yellow, and the fan brush. So that would be worth three points because there's three colors. Um, if you were the first person to paint that feature on the painting, you would get bonus points, uh, two bonus points if you're the first, one bonus point if you're the second. And, and if you paint that feature before Bob Ross paints it, when he moves on his little painting track, you also get bonus points for that. So there's a, there's a lot of ways to get bonus points. It's the first to, what, 30 points? Yeah. Uh, yeah, first to 30 points wins. And that's the person who's the most chill. Yeah, whatever. Um, some of the some of the themey parts of this game are a little stupid, but I like it. The game itself is is great, and it is really cute. There's a little Bob Ross meeple. Yeah, I think the themey things kind of add to the gate to to the cuteness of the game. Like, I don't mind when games do that. I mean, like, I know Bob Ross said things like happy little clouds and happy little trees and stuff like that. But it is a little bit silly to be like, all right, on my turn, I play down my Thalo blue, my cadmium yellow. Or, wait, I'm sorry, cadmium orange. Um, oh, yeah, cadmium yellow. Uh, I play down my sap green and I use my fan brush to paint an almighty mountain. Like, all right, just just. Oh, so so does that mean that this game can't be a role-playing game if you Oh, it can enough? be, John D. It or, absolutely can be. Or just but that you didn't want to bother trying hard enough. I didn't want to role-play as Bob Ross. <laughs> That's fair. I, I, I was role-playing as me watching an episode of Bob Ross, The Joy of Painting, and painting along at home. But actually, that raises another problem that I have with this game, because if Bob Ross is painting these things in a very specific order as he moves along the track at the bottom of the painting, where do you get off painting that cabin before you paint your trees? <laughs> right, right. You can't skip well, maybe, ahead here. Maybe you watched that episode before. It's a rerun, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think most of the episodes I've ever seen were reruns by the time I saw them. Well, all of them are reruns now. Well, yeah, yeah. I I find his show really boring, but that's yeah, probably it's supposed to be. Johnny. I know that's that's why it's chill. Yeah, I think my grandmother used to watch them and paint along with him. Well, I got to tell you, one of my lifelong dreams, and I have looked into this, is to own a Bob Ross original. Really? Yeah. Is that a challenge for people that purchase uh, birthday and Christmas gifts for you? Um. Sure, but you should probably know that they range from $5,000 to $15,000. Oh, yeah, I figured. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you want to buy me a Bob Ross original, I'll I I'll get won't... you a knockoff. Yeah, right. Well, you can get on eBay, you can get, uh, like, you and I painted a painting while watching an episode, and it kind of looks like the one on the show. Like, people will right. do that, and they'll sell them, and it's, like, in the style of Bob Ross. Like, all right, all right, no, no, no. I want a real one with a certificate of authenticity, and I have seen them, and they are, like I said, $5,000. Well, if you're really good, maybe someday Santa will love you <laughs> yeah. enough to give you one. <laughs> yeah, okay, great. Um, I, I don't know who publishes this. I, Big G Creative, um, I know that the design group Prospero Hall di uh, did did the design work on this. Um, yeah. And, and you can buy it at Target, and it's like 25 bucks. I would absolutely recommend this. 
Yeah, I would too. Uh, Big G Creative is the same company that did the breakfast cereal game that we thought was hilarious. Okay. All right. Well, well, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I know at one point Target had a uh, they had a bundle deal, and this is long gone. Um, but you could get the Bob Ross Art of Chill board game and a Bob Ross Funko Pop where his beard and afro uh, had been flocked. And if you don't know what that means, it means like th- they, they glued microscopic fuzz to it. Um, so it's, it feels fuzzy. I'm sure you've seen those toys that are fuzzy. Oh, yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure I had some. Uh, a lot of um, like vac trays back in the day had that weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, you were absolutely right. Yeah. So that they were like velveted. Right. And then after and having the having it for a long enough time, it would start wearing off or being mm-hmm. like super gross looking. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you're so, not supposed to open your Funkos anyway. You're supposed to leave them in the box. Well, I think <laughs> it depends on the reason that you have the Funkos. But yes, there are plenty They're an investment of for the future, John D, just like Beanie Babies. Sure. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, so moving on from Bob Ross. I, I'm I'm gonna make I'm not entirely sure I'm gonna say this correctly, but I'm gonna try. The okay. next game that we played was Atelier. Yeah, you did it! Yay! So Atelier, the painter's studio. Yes. By AEG. Yes, it is a dice game, and the basic rundown. I, in my head, I'm getting two games mixed up, Jared. So can you re- yes. talk about how it's played? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have, uh, yes, like Johnny said, it is a dice game. So you have, I, th- I want to say it's five dice. Um, well, hang on. I can check. Uh, I guess it's four dice. Okay. Um, so you have four dice. You, at the beginning of your turn, roll all of your dice. Well, at the beginning of, okay. At the beginning of your first turn, you'll roll all your dice. And yes. then you will allocate them as, as you choose. So uh, on a die roll of a one to two, and I'll explain what these things mean here in a second. Uh, on a one to two, you will place a student on a three you can move between zero and one students on a four you collect paint on a five you paint a painting and on a six you gain any one paint so those are the those are the like things that can happen uh place a student you have four colors available there's blue green red and yellow and those are in piles just kind of like out in the wilderness somewhere i don't know that it doesn't really make sense i guess they're at a store and you're sending the students to go fetch paints but then they have to go stand in line because the way that placing works is if you have the majority on a color, when you use action number four to collect a paint, you collect paints in every paint that you have a majority. So you would want to use action number three to move students around to your benefit so that you can maximize your majorities. If you can't maximize your majorities, you can roll a six to gain any one paint. And then obviously action number five, paint a painting is to, uh, uh, paint a painting the workers once they're placed out there stay there unless unless uh you're otherwise told um some of the paintings that you paint make you bring your workers back i think all of them maybe do i don't i don't know i didn't flip through and look at every painting because i i wanted to be surprised on subsequent plays um right right but i think in like all every time that i've played the game so far which has been more than just uh when we played it together i think every painting has made you pull them back which okay, is an important thing um in the game that I played with my brother and some other people, we forgot about that rule. And so we weren't always pulling back our workers when that oh. kind of messed with the economy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I think that would greatly change the outcome of stuff like uh, a lot. Yeah. yeah. 
There's also another thing you can do, John D. Do you remember the other thing you can do? If you don't like any of your dice rolls, you can just trade in a die to get an inspiration token, which can then be spent. One inspiration token be, can be spent to re-roll a die that you uh, don't like the result of. Yes. Two, can paint a painting without using a die. And three, you draw a patron card, and patron cards at the end of the game give you bonus points. Yes, I don't think we did any of those things. Or maybe I drew one no. patron card. Yeah, you had like, you start with one, and I don't think you ever used any of your, I don't think you ever gained an inspiration token or spent an inspiration token. I don't think I you did were, you were getting mostly, you were getting dice rolls that were beneficial to you. Yeah, mostly. Um, but not, so, I mean, I guess sort of. Like, it was still, the dice weren't quite right for me to get what I needed to win the game. I think that's that's just part of playing a dice game is that they're they're almost entirely based on luck. There is some strategy in the fact that you kind of know what you want to try to do and hope that you can do it. But there's not a lot you can do, especially in this particular game, to mitigate those dice rolls other than, okay, well, I'm just going to completely throw this away and do the inspiration token or whatever. But there's just... I mean, it's a, it's a dice game, and I love dice games, so I'm really okay with it being mostly luck-based. Uh, but the dice weren't as much there for me as I had hoped that they would be, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I want to say something about this game that we will be revisiting when we talk about the next game. This game uses a bunch of like classic public domain art. Like, uh, Do you remember the painting from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Oh, man, it's been a really long time since I've seen it's that It's fine. Game, but... Just say yes. Yes. Great. Um, there's also like, uh, who, what is this? This is a, this is a Van Gogh. Um, there's, um, these are real paintings. Yeah. It's, was, yeah. There's irises here. These are all real paintings. There's a Monet. There's probably more than one Monet to be honest, uh, based on there's some go, there's just a lot of, these are real paintings. Yes. These are like legitimate real paintings. And it and saved AEG a butt ton of money cause they didn't have to pay for art. Probably there are, 40 oversized painting cards that showcase magnificent works of the 19th century. And also the rule book is shaped like a, um, like a museum brochure, which I think is also really cool. Yeah. I like the, the, the design of this game was really good. Like as far as the graphic design goes, and I did not dislike the game at all. It's, um, it, it can be very quick. It can be a very fast game. The box says 30 to 45 minutes. I would say if you're, if you're playing a two-player game and you get some good dice rolls, I would knock that down to 15 to 45 minutes. Yeah. I mean, well, dice games should be quick games. Like, if yeah. the dice game lasts more than 45 minutes, then there is something wrong with that game. Yeah, because all you have to do to win is um, you have to get, I think it's three. Four paintings. Some of the paintings have stars on them, which are, like, the more difficult ones that aren't, aren't just the, it takes two paints to get them. And uh, if a player ends up with three of those, then it triggers the end of the game. Yeah. Which can be really, really quick, just depending on how quickly they come out. Yes. And, and the end game, uh, I like, because it's not just, okay, well, I triggered the end of the game. It's over. Um, you get a whole another turn so that you're not like, well, I was, I was, I would have been one turn away from scoring a bunch of points. Well, guess what, John D? You get to do that. You get to do that one last turn to score a bunch of points. And I like when games do that. I mean, some games, it doesn't make sense to do that. And I get it. But when a game does give you a chance to like take one more turn, um, it's, it, it lets you do whatever it is you are working up to, hopefully. Uh, when we played this game, I wasn't able to. I wasn't quite where I needed to be to get the points I was working on. I probably would have needed two, two additional turns to get those points. But, you know, that's the roll of the dice. As they say. Uh, okay, sorry. I was opening 
opening Colors of Paris because uh, I want to be able to talk uh, badly about it. Uh, okay. Well, Colors of Paris <laughs> is very similar to Atelier. Yes. Colors of Paris is from Super Meeple. It's a Rondell-style game, uh, action selection worker placement. Yeah. Um, so the way the game works is each uh, you play in a series of rounds. Each round has three different phases. You're going to place your assistants on the rondelle, and, the, and each part of the rondelle is going to be like you get to do a different thing. You're either collecting specific colors. Oh, we should explain what a rondelle is because uh, it's not a very – it's not an, uh, a thing that you see very often. It is basically a moving wheel. So – in a rondelle, like either the play, the the part that like the rondelle itself will move, or players are moving around the rondelle. So it's 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 a circular uh, part of a game that generally functions as a big big mechanic for the game. In this particular game, it is a circular bit that moves each round. So your what is going to be there are certain spots that are like blocked out and so it's going to change every round what spots you can and can't use which is going to vastly determine what you're able to work on for the current painting in that game or in that round Uh, so each round has three phases the first phase just like any like worker placement type game is going to be to place the assistance in player order Um, and then the next part of the round is where the you're going to actually perform the actions of your assistants or your little meeples, like where you put them, you're going to actually do the things that you place them to do. And then you're going to prepare for the next round by um, taking all of your dudes back, I think, but one. Yes, you You have to leave one out. Yeah, you get to leave one out. The rest of them you have to take back, and then the rondelle moves, and then you start the next round. Now, I, I will say, I like mechanically i like this game more than atelier i like this game more than atelier what i don't like about this game and is the thing that i wanted to be able to talk crap about is this also uses publicly available open domain art however and i'm sorting them right now there's only like six paintings there's like 50 cards but it's only like six or seven paintings why yeah super meeple these were free for you to use like as far as I know, and I could be wrong, you don't have to pay for this art. So why, why did they use so few of them? Yeah, um, that's definitely, yeah, I didn't understand that choice. The other thing that kind of confused me, at least thematically for the game, is the colors needed to complete a painting, and this kind of falls into that they reuse the same art over and over, um, is the fact that sometimes the colors that you needed for a particular painting were not even minutely used in the painting itself. So that kind of took you out of the theme a little bit, just for the fact that you'd be like, well, there's no blue in this painting. Why do I need blue? And it's basically because there's all those colors in the game, but they reuse the same art over and over. Right. So I've got them sorted now. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different paintings. And each one of the paintings has like four, four different uh, cards for it. And they are different. Like, so, all right, let's use the, the irises painting here for an example. There's four of them. And they are, all four of them are different. So there's one that's 14 points, 10 points, 16 points, 12 points. And I'm looking at the, like, the colors that you need for them. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how they, did they just, like, randomly assign these colors to this art? Like, okay, I look at this and I'm like, all right, I need... Uh, I need three yellow to paint this. All right, let's look at it. Um, I guess there's yellow there. There's a little bit of yellow there, but there's, 
Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know why they didn't pick more art. Was it a licensing thing that I just don't understand? <sighs> yeah, I, I have, I can't answer that, obviously. This game, for me, is like a seven. But it would be a nine if it weren't so repetitive with the art. You know, if I'm if I'm trying to collect different paintings here to score points, there's a potential that on an entire playthrough of this game, every single one of the paintings that I paint is the same painting. Yeah, there is that potential. So the game kind of in some ways anyway reminds me a lot of Scoville. Yes, because you have to you have to like level up your stats uh, of collecting paints and mixing paints. And the mixing paints you have to do to get those secondary colors. Yeah, which in for if you haven't played Scoville, uh, we've talked about it in some previous episodes, but basically you're growing different peppers and you have to have certain combinations of peppers to get some of the higher scoring peppers. And it's a worker placement. So in that respect, it reminded me a lot of Scoville. A, a big problem for me in this game, and I did really, I, I mechanically and gameplay-wise, I did like this one more than Atelier, but a real problem for me in the game is that you can earn more workers. I think you start with three workers. Yes. And you can earn more workers. And I never really felt overly compelled to do what I would need to do to get those those extra workers. Because yeah, you can get up to six workers, which I... I can't even imagine having that many. I struggled. I, I got five, and I struggled finding things to do with them. Right. There's only so many things you can do in the game, and... They're limited each round. So like I think four four workers at the most would be useful. Beyond that, you're struggling and just being like, oh, I'm going to do this thing, but I don't really need to do this thing. Yeah, there were so, a couple times that I threw away workers just to block you from being able to do actions that I knew you needed to do, but I didn't need to do. Right. And then that becomes more of a take that style game, which, that, which I don't think that it was intended to be in any no. way, shape, no, or form. No, I, I don't think it was at all. So for me, that was one really big issue of the game because I didn't really feel compelled to try to get those additional workers at all. Uh, and, and even with just my three workers, I still was able to do most of the things I was trying to do. And I was still throwing away paint because you could only have so much paint at a time. And even with those three workers, there were times that I had way more paint than I needed. And I was throwing that paint away because I didn't even really have a thing to do with my third worker. So I think that was a bit of an issue in the game, at least for me. Yeah, I think the game itself is is great. Uh, I think that it is out of all of the games that we're talking about in this episode. I think this one is probably I want to say and I, I think Johnny's going to have some objections with this. I think this is the best actual like game. Oh, no, I would agree. Um, are we, are we, of, okay, okay. Of these four games, it's probably my favorite. Another. So in this particular game and, and that. I think it's the case was kind of actually, I don't know that it was a case in any of the other games we played at this particular game. The first player has a huge, huge advantage and you can steal the first player from other people. And I probably should have utilized that more than I did because the first player has a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, so one of the actions, so one of the things that happens, first of all, is you have to leave one of your players out on the rondo, one of your, one of your characters. And uh, I think that that is a fine mechanic, but being able to also then go first and say, okay, well, I've already got a dude that I left here last round that's blocking what everybody else needs to do. I'm the first player. I see that everybody else is waiting on a blue because they need blue paint to, to win. 
So I'm just gonna, I don't need blue, but I'm just gonna put my dude in blue because I go first and it's not gonna hurt me to have blue. I can just throw it away at the end of the, at the end of the round. So right. one of the spaces lets you get the first player marker, but then you also have to take um, a paint that is worth negative points if you, if you choose to use it. Now, yeah. that paint itself counts as a wild, so there is a benefit to using it, but it's also like a negative two points at the end of the game. Yes. So you kind of got to balance like, do I want that or do I want to not ever be able to paint anything because I can't get blue paint? Yeah. Uh, the, the by far the most valuable spot on that on the player on the worker placement board was the imitator one because it allows you to copy the action of any assistant on the board, including any of those of your opponents. Yes. And yes, that, that one, one is good. And that one is basically going to be taken by the first player every single round. So if you don't want to have those negative point paints, it's it, then then you're not going to get that first player marker and you're going to not generally not get that imitator spot. Uh, again, the first player has a huge advantage. And if you play this game, I would I would stress that you should definitely utilize the taking of the first player token more than I did. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. All right. We, we had a little bit of a disagreement uh, about whether we should include this. So I'm just going to very quickly mention a game that John D has not played, but is a game that I love, but because we didn't play it together and John D has not actually played it ever, we didn't re really want to like include it as one of the featured games, but it fits right. in with the theme of the game and theme of the episode. Uh, yep. That's what I, that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> And that is uh, Oink Games published a party game called A Fake Artist Goes to New York. The, the, the idea here is that everyone but one player knows what they're supposed to be drawing. So you've got little cards that like I've written. Maybe I've written Finding Nemo. All right. I hand those out to everybody, except on one of them, I wrote some scribbles or an X or something that indicates that you you don't know. You're the you're the fake artist. And then I say something like, OK, it's a movie. Now, everyone in turn order, which turn order is nebulous, whatever, you just decide what your turn order is, can draw a single line on the drawing, a single continuous line. So once you pick your pin up, your turn ends. Everybody gets two turns. At the end of everyone taking two turns, the fake artist can either say, I'm the fake artist, I know what this is, it's this, and win. Or at any point, people can say, hold on, hold on. You don't know what's going on. We, we, we suspect you. And then at the end of the game, you can say like, all right, you're the fake artist. You don't know what this is. Caught you. And it's a party game, but it fits in with the theme of this game and it, uh, the episode. And it is definitely one of my favorite party games. So I just wanted to talk about it. It's available at Target. You can get it. It should be at every Target. Well, and that's a fairly new development. Oink, Oink games used to be fairly difficult to get a hold yes. of. You either had to order them. I had to buy mine straight from Japan and pay yeah. like $20 to ship it. Or and you would have to wait until game. they come to Gen Con. And I think maybe they do now. Yes. So you could pick them up at Gen Con, and that was about the only times that you would be able to get the game. Um, but Fake Artist, it has been on my list to try for a long time. It just, I think every time it's come up as a game that we want to play, we really haven't had enough players. So Well, hopefully we, we can play it at, at like a holiday party that's coming up in the next couple of weeks, and then we can do a brief update about it. Yeah, yeah. I think that that would be a good idea, because uh, it's definitely on my list to play. But I, as I haven't it's played it yet. always on my list to play. Right. And, well, since, since I haven't played it yet, I really can't comment on whether or not it would take a spot above any of my current favorite party games. That's fair. That's fair. But we did a cool thing this past weekend. 
that had nothing to do with board games. It had something to do with board games. Did it really? Mm-hmm. I mean, we did play board games that day. Yep. But uh, uh, kind of what's kind of become, I think going to become a yearly thing that we do is we, we went live... to look at Christmas lights. Johnny's hyping it up, but we went to look at Christmas lights, but like fancy Christmas lights. So we live near the only town in all of the United States that is named Santa Claus. And there's there's a, a theme park there called Holiday World. And there's lots of like Christmas themed things, which you would guess would exist in a town called Santa Claus. So uh, Holiday World actually funds this really, really fancy, really kind of cool like light display every year. And it's fun to drive through. And we always kind of make a whole trip of it. Like there's a there's a place called Santa's Candy Castle and we go there every year and buy ornaments or candy or whatever. And they also make all kinds of fancy hot chocolate, which I think is a big reason why we keep going back there because the hot chocolate is really good and we're there anyway. And then they also, during this time of the year, they do chestnuts, chestnut roasting on an open fire. So we get hot chocolate and we, yeah, and like we go. Yeah, like a bonfire. Yeah. So we get chestnut, we get to eat a couple chestnuts. We get some amazing hot chocolate. So I think, Jared, you get the same hot chocolate every time, right? Yeah, the Mexican spiced hot chocolate. And you drink it and go, this is so good. Yep. And I've tried a different one both years. I cannot remember what I got last year. This year, they, they also do white chocolate, hot chocolate. And I had never had it before. So I was like, you know, I'm going to try this. So I got, I, again, I don't remember the flavor, but it was a white chocolate. And I liked it okay, but it was really, really, really sweet. And I'm not sure I would choose it again, but it was like super fancy hot chocolate. So, and I was drinking hot chocolate today while we were recording too, with marshmallows. Good for you. <laughs> I don't know what you, cool, John. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, we're talking about hot chocolate. So yeah, yeah. Since it was on my mind, I was like, hmm, I want some hot chocolate. And I made some before we started recording. So it was just boring, like Swiss Miss. There's like oh. lots of fancy ways that you can make hot chocolate at home. Um, yeah, I ordered uh, from Amazon for like $3 um, a little like circular wedge of Mexican hot chocolate that you can either eat as a candy bar or uh, make into a cocoa. And it should make like 16 cups of cocoa. Cool. I mean, this is like like real hot chocolate, like how they used to do back in the Aztec days. In the Aztec days, okay. Uh, yeah. I do really like if you could make like real hot chocolate. People didn't used to eat chocolate, Johnny. They would just drink it. Uh, okay, but uh, hot chocolate's pretty awesome, especially to drink in the winter time. So, yep, just just thought we'd mention the hot chocolate for you know since we're supposed to do food at least once in a while. Yeah, do we, do we have, like, a hot chocolate recipe that you want to share or, or anything? I'm confused about what's happening. We're just talking about hot chocolate because it's wintertime okay. and people drink hot chocolate. All right. I don't like marshmallows except for the little crunchy fake marshmallows that you can get in Lucky Charms or in hot chocolate mix. That's fair. I like to put real marshmallows in my hot chocolate. Mm. Kickstarter. Yes. We're talking about two because I picked one this time. I don't pick. I don't often yeah, that's pick not, them. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. But... There's one that I haven't backed it yet because Christmas time and budget, but it's going to be really hard for me not to back it. It is a Queen Games Kickstarter expansion for the game Runestones. This one's Runestones the Enchanted Forest. 
And this is their the second expansion for the game. I don't have the first expansion. I meant to pick it up at PAX Unplugged, but I forgot. But I, you know, I'll still I'll pick it up at some point. Runestones is it's the main mechanic of the game is deck building, but it's also deck destroying. Like as you play cards in the game, you always have to throw a card away. You play two cards every time. You have to play them at the same time, and you have to throw away the the higher number of the two cards because they're all they all have numbers on them. And so you're building a deck, but you're also destroying your deck as you play. So I really, really enjoy the game. I think it's a lot of fun. So it's going to be hard for me not to back the Kickstarter because, yeah, I really like the game. This one, um, you're playing as druids in the game and you're trying to be like the best druid or whatever. And this one adds familiars uh, that gather magic plants. So I don't really know what that means, having not played it, but it's a great game, but the game itself... I think once you've played it a couple of times, you can kind of, kind of key into certain like combinations of runestones and such that, that are very beneficial and you can kind of run away with points. So I would think that the expansions probably add some new layers that help mitigate that. Okay. Well, that, uh, I mean, sure. I've also never played, I've never played runestones, so I, I really don't know anything about it. Um, the art looks cool. That's, that's something I can say about it. We'll play it sometime. I've got it. Okay. Well, I'm sure that you'll you'll feel the same way about my Kickstarter that I'm uh, very excited about. <clears throat> yes, I have never played yours, so. Um, this is uh, a Steve Jackson game. Now, I know what you're thinking, John D. Yes, it's that Steve Jackson, but no, it's not a Munchkin game. This is Car Yay! Wars. Uh, John D., have you seen the movie Mad Max? No. Oh, uh, do you do you know do you know what Mad Max is? I do. I'm very familiar with it. I just haven't watched it. All right, so basically imagine cars from Mad Max, but, um, uh, like, if it was NASCAR instead. So, like, a demolition derby kind of with, like, cars that are all, like, decked out with, like, weapons and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so this was a stretch goal that they promised during the first uh, Ogre Kickstarter campaign all those years ago that they would um, that they would try to make a new version of uh, Car Wars. That was six years ago. So they've done six years of design, development, playtesting, and now they have In made theory, Car anyway. Wars sixth edition. Well, they they claim that they made that they did six years worth of uh, worth of this. Um, this is technically a miniatures game, but I know a lot of people that played older versions of Car Wars would just uh, take, and, and myself included, would just take Hot Wheels cars and Matchbox cars and just glue, like, Warhammer weapons to them. Because... Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious! Yeah, right, right. Um, but this one comes with, you can get plastic miniatures for, for the cars. Um, you don't have to do that, of course. You can you can still do it the old school way. And instead of adding on the miniature sets, uh, you can just supply your own Hot Wheels cars. Uh, having said that, though, the, the, the add-on miniature sets do come with some, some new cards and new car models. There's also a playmat that is a neoprene two-lane highway, uh, four-lane highway, I guess, really, because it's two lanes on both sides, and like a desert thing. Um, th this is a dice chucker at the end of the game. Uh, uh, wow. At the end of the day. So if you're not into dice chucking miniatures games, this is probably not for you, but if you love the idea of uh, that scene from Cars 3 where they were at the Demolition Derby and uh, the school bus was a bull, um, just change that to guns, just like how Mater had guns in Cars 2, 
for some reason. And uh, right. Oh uh, wait, the, it makes me that think a little bit. Cars two also. Hold on, was that bull? That may have been in Cars two. Anyway, Mater had guns in Cars two for some reason. So I haven't I haven't played the game. I obviously haven't yep. played the game, but yep. when you're talking about it, it reminds me a lot of like when you're driving around in Borderlands, and uh-huh. like the bad guys are like coming after you, and you have weapons on your vehicles yeah. and trying to destroy each other. It, it kind of reminds me of that, at least from the sound of it. Um, yeah, it's exactly that, except uh, except Steve Jackson made it. Right, right, and it's not a video game. Right. Um, so I'm super into Ogre, which is another miniatures game that he made about futuristic tank warfare. And uh, I I have played Car Wars, although you know I haven't played this this uh, this new version. Um, but I can't see any problem with it other than the price. So it's a miniatures game. Um, it's a little bit expensive. The uh, God, the the top pledge that you can get is twelve hundred dollars. Um, oh my god yeah don't don't do that (laughs) uh but yeah it's uh it's shaping up to look like a pretty good campaign and um i like older versions of car wars i can't imagine that i'm not going to like this all right then so go forth and spend your soon to be had grandma dollars on some kickstarters now yeah yeah i mean i mean uh do what you want i'm not in charge of you but yeah, I guess if your grandma wants to get you a, a Kickstarter gift card. Um, <laughs> or, you know, you just know grandma's going to give you money. and spe- Yeah, they really should. That'd be cool. Yeah, Although it'd be kind of hard. Because, like, it'd be kind of hard. Because, like, it's not Kickstarter that's getting the money. It's companies. So, like, I don't know. There'd be Logistically, it'd be tricky, but it could be done. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. But anyway. Well, uh, I can see myself spending way too much money on this with all these add-ons. But until next time, John D., You can eat chip and dice. Okay, bye. Eat Chit and Dice is an independent production of Swin Media and is distributed under a Creative Commons license, attribution, non-commercial, share alike, 4.0, international.